This is an audio-only version of the video series broadcast on YouTube. If you want to experience Me, Myself, and Die as it was originally intended, search for Me, Myself, and Die on YouTube, Facebook, or Rumble. Or go to www.memyselfanddie.com. All of the show's playlists, social media links, and other material can be found there. And now, Me, Myself, and Die. Edbert, panting heavily, wounded, but not injured, looks over at Carlos, who is still cowering in the corner. You know, you could have done something. With no weapon? What would you have me do? Run into its siding blades and be eviscerated? No, 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 no. You are the one with the sword. You, you be the one to fight the enemies. Well, hello and welcome back once again to Be Myself and Die. I am, as always, your intrepid GM host and player, Trevor DeVal. Thank you so much for joining me here today. And if you do want to help support the show, please do hit like and subscribe. It is a big help to the show if you do. And also, if you want to help us on Patreon, that would be amazing. I'm trying to get my subscribers up and it's working. So keep on, keep it on, keep on with the support because it is a big help for me to continue doing the show. Thank you all of you who have joined. When last we saw Edward, he had been attacked on the deck of the Drunken Ghoul 2 by a strange abomination creature that was apparently summoned or created or something by a mad wizard by the name of Ur Ozvath, who for some reason wanted to abduct both him and Carlos off of the deck of the Inquisitor's Leap, the ship belonging to the Order of the Purifying Flame, and presumably returned them both to the wizard's tower, which was on a little craggy island, en route to the, the, the wreck of the Sea Ghost, which was the first stop on the map, on the way to discovering the location of the soul cage. So, lots of stuff happened. Edward decided that he was going to go to the tower and confront this Urazvath with Carlos, presumably, to find out what this guy wants, to find out why they were attacked, all that stuff. So, before we get to that, let's deal with the nitty-gritty of the advancement points. Edward earned nine advancement points from last time, six of which he's going to use to bump up his withstand magic skill, because, you know, going to a mad wizard tower, that could uh, prove useful. I'm going to have him bump up his command skill for a cost of four points, which leaves him a total of two APs left for luck. The first thing we need to do is determine if the scene is interrupted or altered in some way. The chaos factor went up to seven at the end of that last very chaotic episode. So we roll our trusty d10, and if we get seven or less, the scene is interrupted in some way. Seven, okay. It is an altered scene, so they are on their way to the island. So instead of just arriving there in a couple of days, the scene is altered by something. Oh, I have an idea. Yeah, this is kind of cool. So Edbert is in his quarters. It's about a day after the attack. They've got another day or so until they get to the island. And I think he's sleeping in his cot, but he's having a very disturbed sleep. He's, his, his dreams are plagued by nightmares, a very familiar nightmare, one that he has relived many, many times. Edbert and Sherilyn are crunching through the mountain oh. snow. She calls oh, out, Edbert, what are I'm you sorry. doing? And he's trying desperately to scrabble up the slope, but he can't get there in time. He sees Sherilyn looking up, and she looks at him directly, eyes wide, and a snow-covered boulder comes careening down and carrying her off, spinning away into the precipice to her death. He can see her no, broken Sharon. and battered body, her head 
twisted at a sickening angle, her dead eyes staring directly at him. He wakes with a start, <laughs> covered in a cold sweat. He gets to his feet, wipes off the sweat from his brow with a, with a handkerchief, and he notices that on the small table underneath the porthole where he can see the blue tropical sky outside as the ship cleaves its way through the crystal blue waters of the serpent's teeth isles. He sees the vial that he retrieved from the Temple of Devona, and the vial is empty. In fact, the vial is shattered. The glass of the vial, presumably was made of glass, in pieces on the desk with the liquid that was inside staining the top of the desk, running over the edges onto the to the wooden planks of the floor. Edbert immediately grabs his sword from beside the bed and <laughs> pulls it out of the scabbard. Looking around, he slowly moves through the cabin, keeping a very careful eye on nooks and crannies and corners to see where this weird little tadpole thing has gone. But as he's moving towards the desk, he hears a sound from behind him. He spins around, and there, in the corner by the door, underneath his boots, basically, where he had taken them off to get some, some sleep, he sees movement. He slowly pads up on the creaking floorboards of the ship towards the corner of the room. And there, nestled in the leathers of, the, of, of his boots, basically, he can see two blinking reptilian eyes blinking out at him. And as he gets closer, he can see that what was once a tadpole that he had been daily feeding two drops of his precious blood to and had <laughs> witnessed it getting bigger in front of his very eyes, he now sees something much more than a mere tadpole. Yes, he sees what appears to be like a, a one to two foot tall humanoid lizard-like thing, but it is it is as of yet unformed. He can see that it's it's almost fetal in its appearance. He can see the beginnings of scales beginning to develop on it, but it is clearly not yet a grown thing, but it has rapidly <laughs> emerged into something much bigger. And he goes up to it. He puts his sword away and he goes to it and he kind of hunkers down in front of it. And he looks at the thing, and the thing kind of looks up at him with these big, blinking, lizard-like eyes. And he looks at this thing, and it kind of... <laughs> makes a weird, cooing, lizard-like sound. And as it looks at him, it looks immediately at his finger, where he's still got a little slash from the knife where he had been feeding it. And he kind of looks at the finger, too, and goes up closer to it. And he pulls out his dagger and pricks a different finger, and just puts his hand over the little creature that it opens its little mouth, little buds of fangs poking through the flesh of the interior of the mouth, the little forked tongue flicking in and out in, in anticipation. And Edbert drops two more drops of his blood right into the creature's mouth, and it coos with a, uh, a weird serpent-like pleasure, and then curls up inside the leathers of his boots as though it wants to uh, go to sleep. And he, no, 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 just hold on. And he kind of reaches out and he picks it up. It's weirdly slimy to the touch. <laughs> he takes the thing and grabs like an extra shirt from uh, one of the, the sea chests, like a, a linen shirt. And he kind of 
puts it over it to, you know, cover. Not, not just to make sure that the creature is comfortable, but also to perhaps prevent prying eyes from seeing it if someone should walk in. Because uh, he hasn't really shared this information with the, with the rest of the crew. He probably should do that. Anyway, so the thing is getting bigger much, much faster than he anticipated. So that is the altered scene. Great. A day later, Edbert, again, napping in his cot, is woken up by the sound of a knock on the door. He gets to his feet, and opening the door is Captain Nicola. Get your gear, Edbert. The island is in sight. Edbert does, grabs his stuff, checks on the little creature, who is still asleep, tucked away. He, be he basically takes it, I think, maybe puts it underneath the cot, just in case. And um, steps outside on deck. And as they come up on deck, they look out over the starboard side of the ship, and there, in the distance, they can see a very, very small, craggy, rocky island. Barely an island, it's like a, it's like a hump of rock jutting forth from the waves. But on that island is a tower, and it looks to be the remains of a lighthouse that has been perhaps modified or built up and built around, or this tower has been built from the ruins of this lighthouse, whatever the case is, but it's, it's craggy and arcane looking, very strange. Nicola and Edward observe in silence for a while as the crew prepare to, to make way with a, a rowboat as they, you know, put it over the side and it splashes in the water. Nicola has Carlos brought up on deck. So this is the tower of this Uros Vath. Aye, it is. I presume, Edbert, that you would like Carlos to accompany you to yonder island. Aye. I think that makes the most sense. No, 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 wait, wait, wait. I never signed up for this. I never agreed to go to this island. I don't care if you want to go or not. That creature attacked you as well as me. Obviously, you wanted to bring the both of us to this island. Well, we're here now. So you are getting in that boat and coming with me, and we're going to find some answers about this. Carlos knows, obviously, he has he doesn't have much of a choice in this, surrounded by armed sailors as he is. I best not accompany you on this uh, expedition, Edbert. Somebody's got to pay attention to the drunken ghoul's needs. But I'm going to send Wyndham with you. He's the best swordsman I've got, as you well know, and uh, someone should keep an eye on Carlos. So, Wyndham, thumbs up. Given his orders to basically keep an eye on Carlos, and I think the three of them get into the launch and proceed to row their way towards this mysterious island. The boat grinds up against the rough sands of the beach. Edbert clambers on these rocks. Carlos and Wyndham also come out as well. Here's my first question. Does Ur Ozvath know that they're coming? Well, Probably he'd see the ship if he's looking, even if he's not looking, he'd see the ship. It's a lighthouse. It's a lookout tower. <laughs> he's definitely gonna... So I'm going to say that the odds of Ur Ozvath knowing that they're here, a sure thing, this is on Chaos Factor 7, is going to be 24, which is a yes. So he wanted Edbert and Carlos to come to the island. That's why he said the beast, the weird pteranodon thing. The pteranodon failed, but they are coming anyway. Does he open the door for them? 50-50. He does. As Edward clambers up on this rock, these doors here silently swing open, as though beckoning them inside. Edward draws his blade, as do his companions. Have they given Carlos a sword? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. So Carlos is unarmed, but Wyndham pulls his sword. So Edward and Wyndham flanking Carlos, cautiously move inside the tower. Inside the tower, 
The base of the tower is mostly foodstuffs as well as some books on shelves, but it is eerily quiet. Oh, here's a question. Does Uraz Vath want to test them as they go up the tower for whatever reason? I mean, I, I don't know what he wants. Let's call that somewhat likely. Oh, that's an extreme yes. Well, an extreme yes means that they are going to be tested on every level of this tower as they climb the stairs. What is the nature of the first test in this room? 87, work hard. <laughs> 93, work hard weather. As I said, the place is eerily silent, but as soon as he walks in the room, the doors slam shut behind him. He spins around. Wyndham goes up to the doors, tries to open them, but they are sealed shut. And as Wyndham is pressing against the door, trying to open it, there is a sound that begins to emerge from somewhere in the room, from all around them at the same time. And that sound is of wind, of a growing, hissing wind that very quickly turns into a raging torrent. And it seems to be coming from the top of the stairs, blowing itself down into the room. Immediately, all three of them are blown back up against the wall and I get crashing into furniture, crashing into the shelves as the, the force of the wind is preventing them from going forward. So he pushes back into it and immediately begins to push against the wind, shouting behind him for the others to come with him as they begin to force their way towards the staircase, trying to beat this tempest as it blows the contents of the room all over the place. You know, bits of uh, 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 small crockery pots and, and cups are, are battering them in this, in this roaring wind as it's uh, roaring around them. So that means he is going to have to do a muscle roll to, uh, to just push his way up. Is he going to be able to push his way up? No, he fails that test. So I think they are pushed back all the way to the doors. Edbert shouts against the, the, the roaring wind. Orozvath, it is I, Edbert, and Carlos. You tried to bring us to you while we are here now. Let us up. Urazvath obviously wants to communicate with them, but he's testing them. They've failed this test. He still wants them to approach, but there's going to be a price to pay for having failed the test. And I think what that price is, is damage. I think they take damage from the bits and bobs of stuff that's flying through the air. I think at one point, Edward takes a, a small wooden cask of water or ale or something right to the side of the head. I think they're battered and bruised. I'm going to say that he takes 1d3 injury points of damage. Three! Oh boy! So he's down to five. And same with Wyndham and Carlos. So they are battered and bruised. But after Edward shouts this, the winds die down and, and all the items in the air that were flying around the room just clatter to the ground and the wind vanishes. And the door at the very top swings open. Edbert leads the other two up the stairs towards the second level to meet whatever test Urazvath has in store for them there. There's books and there's cabinets and cupboards and all sorts of sorts of weird arcane things. There's some sort of like weird kind of astrolab kind of thing in the center. Edward, of course, is totally unfamiliar with this type of magic, so he has no idea what any of this stuff is. But here's the question. What is the nature of this second challenge? Release. Victory. I think this could be a fight. <laughs> As they come up into the tower. Again, Edbert calls out, Orozvath, 
We are here. Show yourself. Now we know that Urazvath is is a bizarre sort of sorcerer where he can like create these strange uh, hellish abominations, you know, parts of different creatures, weird, almost Michael Moorcock, like Elric level kind of weird chaos beasts, you know? So yeah, something appears to challenge them physically. Let's go to Maze Rats. What is it? Locust, a strange kind of locust thing. What's its features? Two and two. A locust with weird fins. It's mechanical. Oh, interesting. So it's part, part insect, part machine. There's, there's weird. I might have the miniature just for this, actually. Ha. What's its abilities? One in five. It's got a breath weapon. What's its tactics? To deceive. So because the thing's tactic is to deceive, I think its breath weapon is fog, which means it obscures the vision of those in its path, imposing a visibility penalty. I'm gonna say minus three. Timing? I don't think it's gonna be particularly fast. I'm gonna say plus two. Strike nine. Block is actually gonna be 12 because of these scything sort of weirdly metal fins it's got. Urazvath is not trying to kill them. He's trying to test them. So I think it's withstand injury is going to be, I think it's actual stat is not gonna be huge. I think it's gonna be five, but it's gonna have five points of armor, which means it's actually 10. Appearing at the base of the stairs is this monstrosity that appears in a flash of light and it immediately begins to, to approach the group with its scything weird mechanical fins creating like a strange barrier of blades. Carlos doesn't have a weapon so he's going to immediately cower in the corner trying to stay well away from this, this bizarre abomination that's that's attacking them. Wyndham's timing, he's at minus one with his blade, so he's gonna be at 11. Oh, wait a minute, no, he rolled a 12, so he's last. Everyone's rolling at plus one with his sword. He's at three. The thing's timing at plus two, it's gonna be on eight, which means it's going to go first. Edbert and Wyndham launch themselves into an attack at this creature. That's their stated objective. Edbert's going to do, I think he's gonna try and hit it, and I think he's gonna try and block because he sees his things. So he's gonna have a mod of a minus one multi. Wyndham, I think, is going to, he's also going to the fray. I'm just gonna have him strike. Then the locust thing declares. Well, the locust thing sees us coming in. It's going to block and breathe at the same time. So it's gonna have a minus one multi-action penalty as well. So in the modifier phase, Edbert is going to block with his shield. So he's doing it at a 10 and he's gonna, yeah, actually it's a nine. So he succeeds with a seven. So the thing's gonna have a minus seven against him, which is great. Uh, Wyndham is not blocking, he's just attacking. So the locust thing goes first. It's attacking and breathing. It breathes first. Its breath weapon is at eight. Does it succeed? It does, which means the entire room is filled with this, this acrid, smoky, fog that immediately belches forth from the mouth of this weird mechanical locust thing and just envelops the entirety of the room. Everybody here is now going to suffer a minus three visibility penalty to everything they do. Now the thing is this thing can see through its own fog so it moves in for the attack. Its normal attack is going to be nine but because Edbert got a successful block of seven it is rolling on two and it will hit, unfortunately. Edbert's going to do his withstand injury, which is eight. He's still not wearing armor. 
and he'll take two off, but you always take one damage. So Edbert is knocked down to four injury. He does take a glancing blow from those whirring scythes. That's going to be Edbert, who is a axe next. Now he is now, he's got a minus one multi-action penalty and a minus three for the visibility. So everything he does is minus four. He did block, but now he's going to try and strike, even though it's hard to see where this thing is. It's moving around in the fog, trying to uh, uh, keep a distance from Edbert's attack, but he's going to attack anyway. His attack is very good. It's 11 minus four is, of course, seven. Sevens. Ooh, he will still manage to connect with his blade at this thing. It does get a withstand injury of 10. And it will fail, which means that Edbert does four damage. Somehow, through the fog, he's able to not only get a, a glimpse of this thing's weird insect kind of metal hide, but he's able to drive his blade into it, doing four damage. Now, this thing only has five so each injury level is now down to one no penalties yet but that's a big big hit and now going last in the round is Wyndham he's in a minus three penalty so he's rolling at six he will oh he will hit this thing does its withstand injury of ten and it will take off three so that's three damage Wyndham somehow able is able to hit it as well which reduces this thing to minus Two! What a flurry of successful attacks at Wyndham and Edbert. And now we go to the timing. Wyndham, his timing is minus one. He's going to roll on two. Edbert, his timing is a total of plus one. He's going to be rolling on four. And this thing, its timing is plus two. It's going to go on three. Look at that. So Edbert goes first. Wyndham declares. And then the thing. And then Edbert. Wyndham is he's now blooded. He sees this thing is not some impenetrable force or of, of magic. He sees that this thing is able to be stopped as it's even now sort of in the fog. He catches a glimpse of it kind of stumbling a bit from the multiple wounds it's just attacked. So he's going all in. He's attacking just a straight up bang. He's not going to defend himself. But of course, his penalty is going to be minus three for the fog. The locust thing is going to block and strike. So it's going to have a mod of minus one multi. Edbert sees his opportunity, but he knows that these blades are still very dangerous. So he too is going to block and strike twice. So he's going to have a minus two multi-action penalty. It's going to be tough. Everything he does is minus five because of the fog, but he does go first. Modifier phase, he's going to block. His block is going to be 10 minus five. His block is five. He does not block. There's too much fog in the air. He doesn't know where the attack's going to come from. The creature is also going to block. It does not suffer the minus three fog penalty, but it does suffer the minus two wound penalty. So its block is a 10. It's going to block with a six. So it is now Edbert's turn. Minus three from the fog, minus two from the multi-action penalty, and minus six is minus 11. He can't hit it this time. The 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 combination of the fog and the whirring blades of its block, because his normal skill is 11 and the penalties are 11. He can't hit it, which means both of those strikes are going to be ineffectual. It goes next. It's going to strike with a penalty of minus two and minus one for the multi, so the penalty of minus three, it's going to strike at Edbert again, striking at six and it will miss. Wyndham still has his opportunity to come in here. He is attacking at minus nine because of the block and the fog. His strike is nine, so this whole round is defensive. Shields go up, the whirring blades, the fog, it's making everything uh, uh, just impossible to hit anything. But now we go back into round three for the timing. Let us do the locust thing first. Its timing is plus two, minus two because of its wounds. So its timing is regular. It's gonna go at, at six. Wyndham's at minus one and he's gonna roll at eight. 
which is good. Edbert's at plus one and he's going to roll at three. So Edbert must declare first. He cannot get past this thing's defenses. He is going to try and faint this thing out. So he's gonna faint and attack. Next up is the locust thing. The locust is again going to block because it's so good, but it is of course at a minus two wound penalty. Uh, I think this time it's it, it can't seem to get at Edward. It's going after Wyndham. Wyndham sees this however, so he is going to parry and strike. So he's also gonna be at a minus one multi. Uh, Wyndham goes first, but we're in modifier phase, so he is going to do his parry to try and prevent this thing from hitting him. But his parry is six minus four. His parry is two right now. Nope, he is unable to parry. The next to go is the creature with its block. It's rolling at nine. Oh, no block. This could be the winning roll right here. It is unable to block. Meanwhile, we go down here. We've got a fainted attack coming in from Edbert. His faint is not great. It's five and he's gonna be a minus four. <laughs> he's gonna roll a one, but you know what? This is gonna be important. He's gonna, he's gonna spend some luck on this. He's got two APs. If he spends them both, he'll get a plus six to it. I'm gonna do it. So he's rolling at seven for this particular roll and he will faint. Great. Make your strike all with a faint bonus to your strike stat equal to your faint stat. Ooh, so his strike is now going to be at <laughs> 16. Now we go into the action phase. It is Wyndham. He's done a parry. He's striking as well. It's minus four because of the fog and the multi-action and his strike is nine. So he's rolling at a five. Does he hit this thing? He misses this thing. It is this thing's. It is striking at Wyndham this time. Rolling at six. He did not carry. It's rolling at six and it also will miss thankfully. And now finally it is Edbert's turn. He's coming in with 16 minus four because the fog of the multi-action penalty, which is going to be, oh, beautiful. It's going to be a 12, which means he can only fail this if he rolls a 12. What kind of damage does he? Oh, that's the best he could have done. That's the best he could have done. He maneuvers his way into this thing and there, sees it in a gap in the fog as the fog momentarily clears as this thing's whirring blades basically cause the fog to ripple and he sees his opportunity and he drives his blade into it for a potential 11 damage, but this thing has a withstand injury of 10. What happens here? Oh my god. It withstands none of the damage. It takes the full 11 damage, putting it down to minus 13. Edbert's sword drives into the thing. It does not squeal. It does not scream because it is, it is part machine, part insect but it basically collapses into a series of uh, carapace bits and weird metal fins clanking onto the floor and the, the fog finally dissipates. The combat is successful and the test is passed. The door at the top of the stairs swings open, leading Edward up to the next and potentially final level of the tower. Edward, panting heavily, wounded, but not injured, looks over at Carlos, who is still cowering in the corner. You know, you could have done something. With no weapon? What would you have me do? Run into its siding blades and be eviscerated? No, 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 no. You are the one with the sword. You, you'll be the one to fight the enemies. <laughs> I like you less and less. Every episode, Carlos. Cautiously, they begin to once again ascend the stairs onto the next level. In this room now, again, there's more potions and there's a there's a, a hearth and more books on shelves and all sorts of weird alchemical things of this nature. At this point, I think I need to know what it is that Urasvath wants with Carlos and Edbert. 
Why would he go after Carlos? Well, what do Carlos and Edward have in common? They both were on that island. They were both in the vicinity of that weird killer plant that was on that island. Is there significance to that island? I'm going to say unlikely. No. The answer is no. So it's not about the island. I don't think it's totally random. I don't, th I don't think he's just randomly grabbing guys off of ships. I don't think it's connected to the soul cage, though. I don't think it's connected to the soul cage because if it was, he would have gone after Captain Nicola, and he didn't. I think it's impossible that the wizard is, is after the soul cage. But let's ask. 15% chance. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. It actually is. He is after the soul cage. <laughs> Everybody's after the soul cage. Maybe he's not after the soul cage. Maybe he himself does not want the soul cage, but he wants these two for whatever reason to do something with the soul cage that benefits him. But why wouldn't he want it himself? What if he can't leave the tower? What if he is bonded to this tower, not just magically, but physically? Ooh. Yeah, so he is interested in the powers of the soul cage, but he can't physically go and get it himself. So he wants these two to bring it to him. He is offering a bargain. That is what he wants. He, <laughs> and he's not a subtle type. So instead of just inviting Edbert, he wanted to grab him and, and but, but why Carlos? Well, well, now it actually makes sense. He grabbed somebody off the Inquisitor's Leap because he knew that was a whole ship of people that were going after the Soul Cage as well. So he was looking for information about the Soul Cage. He wanted to grab... I don't think he grabbed Carlos specifically. Let's ask that question. I think Carlos was just a guy on deck that the creature grabbed. Did he specifically grab Carlos? I think it's no way. I think he just wanted somebody. And yeah, turns out... It's an extreme no. So it was basically a two-pronged two plan. He wanted to grab somebody and interrogate them off the Inquisitor's Leap so he could discover information, but he also knew that Edbert might be bargained with, so he wanted to do both. Carlos was kind of an insurance policy. If Edbert refused the bargain, he still had somebody from the Inquisitor's Leap to try and pry their mind open to see what they knew about the Soul Cage. Okay, so that makes sense. So I originally imagined that this wizard was like a guy in a room, right? But now that we know he can't, he's, he's, he's connected to the tower. Oh, that's interesting. I think that this level is empty, but at the top, they can see a door leading to the rooftop. And there's a voice that emanates again from sort of everywhere. And the voice says, You have done well in facing the tests of the tower, Edward. Come, come now up the stairs where I may propose my bargain. Cautiously, they make their way up the stairs and emerge onto the roof of the tower. The wind is blowing up here, the birds are calling. Ura's Vath is not just trapped in the tower. He has become part of the tower. He's become one with the tower. And he has been transformed into something not at all what Edbert was expecting. In the center of the tower is a pool with purple liquid, iridescent liquid, almost like the, the, the sheen of the plates on that flying monster that they fought last episode. But inside the pool is what catches Edbert's attention, for it is a gargantuan tentacled brain. Why? Because I have this miniature, <laughs> and I've always wanted to use it, and I think it's so cool. This is in fact this pulsing pink and purple tentacled brain is Ur Ozvath. The voice emanating in Edbert's head 
comes from this pulsating, brain-like thing. Urasvath, I uh, presume. Again, the, the voice comes from inside Edward's own head. Forgive my previous clumsy invitation. I felt if I did not bring you here by force, you would never have come. But here you are. What is it that you want from us, you giant brain thing? From you specifically, Carlos. Nothing. You were merely a pawn that I snatched off the deck of the Inquisitor's League, hoping to be able to interrogate in case Edbert refused my offer. If you were so intent on making me an offer, why did you make it so hard to get up here in the first place? Come now, Edbert. I had to ensure that you had the correct metal for what I am asking of you. And what exactly are you asking of me? Simply for you to continue doing what you are already doing. Your pursuit of the soul cage is of great interest to me. I would use its power, but alas, I am unable to leave the confines of this tower, as I have merged and become one with it. From here, I can command great sight. I see all there is to see, but I am unable to physically leave. Well, if you see all there is to see, then you can tell me where the soul cage is and I can dispense with this entire map business. Alas, if only it were that easy. The location of the soul cage is shielded even from my great sight. But I believe that you will find it. For I have observed you in these islands. I believe that you will win through to the soul cage. And once you do, I would ask that you do something for me, using its power. What does Uraz Vath want Edbert to do with the soul cage? Oh, <laughs> well. The soul cage can change the nature of reality. Long have I been trapped here, unable to break free of this existence. I would ask that you bring the soul cage here and release me from my prison. In exchange, I will tell you what I know about certain obstacles in your path. For though the location of the soul cage itself is kept hidden from me, I am able to provide valuable insight on the many clues you will have to follow in order to find it. So in game terms, what I think this means is that Urazvath is going to be able to give them warnings of what they're about to discover when they get to a new location on the map. Well, I don't know if I can really trust a giant talking brain, Urazvath. The question is, Edward, how can I trust you? For you are going to pursue the soul cage on your own volition, with or without my help. If you find it, there is nothing stopping you from abandoning your word to me that you will free me. As much as I don't like accepting help from gods and wizards. I suppose this bargain makes a kind of sense. But first, proof. What do you know about the sea ghost? How can you help us with that? So, in terms of the sea ghost, what is it that Urazvath will tell him that will actually help? Is the sea ghost totally underwater? 50-50. Once again, the, the voice fills Edward's mind. The sea ghost is utterly submerged. He 
reaches down a hundred feet. There is no way for a simple human to simply dive down and find what you need to find. But I will give you something that will allow you time to find what you seek. And I think that one of these flapping, slime-covered tentacles coming from this brain produces out of thin air, apparently, a small potion bottle and sets it down clunk, right in front of Edward's feet. This is an elixir that upon consumption will allow the imbiber to breathe the waters for some time. Without this, you would have to find some other way to access the sea ghost. Consider this down payment on our agreement. Edward reaches down, looks at the elixir. I write Ur Ozvath. When I get to the sea ghost, if this elixir you just gave me turns out to be, you know, the real thing and not some poison, I'll use it, go down and find a clue. If it works, I'll know that your word is good. If you're good for your word, I'll be good for mine. And with that, they descend the stairs of the tower all the way back to the boat, clamber in and make their way back to the drunken ghoul with some weirdly wizardy help. Because now, as they're going after each aspect of the map, as they're trying to track down each clue, they will have some idea beforehand of what to expect. This could be a very useful thing. That ends that scene. There are no new NPCs, but we can close the thread, why Azura's Vath going after Carlos and Edbert, and maybe add a thread of uh, free Uraz Vath with the Soul Cage. The Chaos Factor, I think, is going to go down, as it turned out, sort of in uh, Edward's favor here. Edward and the boys get back to the drunken ghoul, clamber on board, and resume their voyage to the coordinates of the Sea Ghost, which we know is now sunk beneath the waves a hundred feet. And the only way to get to it is going to be to trust in Urazvad's special potion that will allow, presumably Edward, to breathe under the water and get down to the wreck of the seagulls to find what he is going to find there and what is that going to be we will have to find out next time on the next episode of me myself and i thank you so much for joining please do hit like and subscribe if you haven't done so already do check out the patreon we have a growing family of of, of patrons and supporters and it, it's really great if you want to help us out uh check the link below and um, also check the me myself and die.com website for all kinds of interesting things as well thank you so much and we will see you next time on the next episode of me myself and die.